welcome to A Lifetime on Planet Groove, a podcast celebrating the incredible live album from Maceo Parker and his band, released in 1992, Life on Planet Groove. I'm Guy, and this is Ed. Hello. <laughs> and in each episode, we're going to speak to the people who made the album. We're going to play loads of amazing bits from the album too, and we're, we're generally going to revel in its magnificence. <laughs> <laughs> Life on Planet Groove is an astonishingly good live funk album which made a huge impression on us as teenagers and we haven't stopped listening to it since so we've spent, as the show name suggests, a lifetime on Planet Groove uh, up to now. Now before we get to the first of our interviews in the next episode we thought it'd be good to talk about why this album means so much to us and why we've decided to make this podcast more than 30 years after the album came out. And so Ed, I guess it makes sense to start with when we first heard this album... <laughs> And why? My, my my memory of the early nineties, as I'm sure yours is, is a, yours is is a bit hazy. So we may have to piece this together, I guess. Yeah. Did it happen the early nineties? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Allegedly. It's hard to know what was real and what wasn't now, yeah. thirty years on. But yeah, I think it did happen. Let's work on the basis that it happened. Well, I think I know the first time that I listened to the album, and it, I don't think it was with you. Or that or that would have come shortly afterwards. But I think it was the mm-hmm. same person who introduced the both of us to this. Yes. And I, um, um, so this is, you know, uh, our mate Barry, obviously. Hi, Alex, if you're listening, yeah. if anyone's listening. But uh, I, I, in my memory, I just went to his house and as soon as I walked through the door, he held up to it like, you have to listen to this. Mm. And, you know, and that was the way, I mean, we discovered music back then, isn't it? You know, there was no, no such thing as a streaming service. No. Um, um, any internet in 1992? No. Certainly not in the way that we know it now. Well, and I guess we should say that we went to secondary school together, to high school together, and we both discovered that we shared a love of funk in a sort of, when we were around 13, 14, I would say, maybe 15. I don't know. It's hard to place. Um, And I actually remember, I don't know if you remember this, but there's, um, I think we should come back to this, but I have a, a very specific funk epiphany story, which you were present at, which I'll tell you in a minute. But so we... And so we used to, we loved funk music and our friend Alex or Barry hmm. used to, loved it as well. And there was a few, couple of others, Steve O, a notable addition to that list. Yeah. And we also, we all loved funk and we used to listen to funk, particularly when we were sort of 16, 17, which is when this, we were both would have been 16 or 17 when this came out, wouldn't we? Oh, that's tested my mathematics. Yeah, well. I'll, I'll believe you. I've, yeah, I've looked this up. We were both, <laughs> both born in 1976. So I think it's safe to say in 1992, 93. But yeah, my my memory of it is that, yeah, we listened to it in Barry's bedroom upstairs mm. very uh, many, many, many times over a very, probably quite a short period when you think back to it. But we basically became obsessed with this album, didn't we? Yeah, absolutely. And I think obsession sums it up for me as well. You know, that um, I mean, you just mentioned when we were born, we're both getting older now and I, I still discover new music, but at a alarmingly slow rate compared to you know when you're a teenager but there's certain things that I go back and listen to all the time and there's other things that we were listening to then that have you know dropped off the radar completely I'd never listened to again but there's all sorts of recordings that I'll you know go back and and visit from time to time life on planet groove is its own separate thing above that though I listen to that every year and listen to it dozens of times I've listened to that album thousands of times i'm sure in my life and i know it yeah, inside out and obsession is the word you know uh, we'll get into this a little bit later as well about some of the reasons why that we love it but for me um it's like you know 
revisiting a movie that you love or rereading a book, I always find something new. And we might talk a little bit about some of those little moments and what makes it special for us. But there's always something to find in, for me in it, going back and revisiting it again. Yeah, I, I think it's been the same for me. You know, we had that very intense period of being obsessed with it in that those sort of, that you know, 92, 93, whenever it first was that, yeah, Barry brandished it in his bedroom and said, yeah. we've got to listen to this. And we then listened to it over and over again. And so I think, but I've gone back to it, as you said, like all the time, every year. It's, it's been an ever-present in my, yeah. you know, um, CD collection and then now into my streaming. It's It's one of my... It's always there. It's always being revisited. And I think, like, for me, a massive part of it is there's something magical about this album in terms of live live music, but specifically live funk and the connection that a, a band that are absolutely in the pocket can have, with, and obviously playing amazing tunes and led by someone who can connect directly with the audience, like Maceo, can, there's, there's, a, there's a magic can be created between a band and the audience which which then translates onto a live album yeah which you can feel it you can feel the energy and the excitement and the you know just the, it's, it's a beautiful experience isn't it it's so exciting and, and fun and the musicianship is just off the charts as well let's not forget that it's incredible and it, you know it in that way it transcends its genre as well you know i I've played this album to so many people, you know, after, mm. I remember it being introduced to me and I hope there's people out there who remember the first time I introduced them to it because you can play this to people who, you know, and I talked about this with, you know, a couple of people that we've interviewed as well, people who don't like funk or don't think they like funk or, you know, but anyone can listen to that incredible document of a live experience. Um, it For me anyway, and I hope that, you know, other people listening to it have the same experience. You are transported to this tiny little club in Germany, mm. the, the audience is such a part of the recording. Yeah, and that's it. And I guess we haven't mentioned yet, really, properly, but it was recorded in March 1992 in Cologne, mm -hmm. uh, in the Stadtgarten, I think it's called, isn't it? The the venue. Yeah. And th that's the other thing. It's like all these little things about it. You know, you that th that venue, to me, is like has a mythical quality. I mean, we should go one day, actually. That, that should be the final episode, I think, of this show. We should <laughs> rendezvous in Cologne. Yeah. And we should go to the Stadtgarten and just have a... You know, whatever there. Yeah. <laughs> See whatever's on just for a night and just, just to be in that space again. Cause, but it's, you know, whenever I hear the word or whenever anyone mentions Cologne or, <laughs> or the any, anything to do with Cologne, I just think, we love you, Cologne. Yeah. Let's go to Cologne and <laughs> funk with the folk. Yeah. Every time. I mean, it's, it's just so, it's so, Cologne just takes on a mythical quality as well because of it, doesn't it? Yeah. It's everything about the album. Um, I think as well, it's partly because of, there's a certain time in your life, like when you're a teenager hmm. specifically, when you get really obsessed with stuff, don't you? And you listen to stuff over and over again and you know every note, you know every snare drum, you know every you know solo, you know every ah uh, in this case. And it you just become so into something. And I think for us, this was one of those things at that time that both of us just got so into and, it, and it's never gone away. Absolutely. And again, I'm overusing that word transcends now as well, but it does transcend other examples of that for me. You know, there's all sorts of things that I was similarly obsessed with, but there's something mm. about this that, you know, it still sounds fresh and raw and modern and in no way, you know, sounds like something from the 1990s. It sounds like something you could, you know, wander down a street in Cologne and, you know, stumble into a club and hear played now. It's just, yeah, somehow. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, it's its own thing. It's on another level above, you know, 
some of the music I, yeah. I was still obsessed about at, at those age, <clears throat> at that age. And um, yeah. something else we were going to talk about is um, you know why we decided to make this podcast. Yeah. And I thought there's something I'd like to read to you guys if you're ready. Go on. You want to hear this? <laughs> I'm ready. Uh-uh. So it's date. It's an email. It's dated Thursday, March 9th, 2023. Starts the way we often start a conversation or an email. Easy. <laughs> Remember when you had that idea about a podcast with you and me talking about funk? And, you know, this wouldn't be the first time you and I have uh, discussed ideas about what could make a good podcast episode. No. Well, here's a similar concept that almost certainly wouldn't work without music licensing and is a bit of a ripoff of the one heat minute concept. Just going to apologize. We haven't actually ripped off, but I was thinking about it. No. Shout out to Blake Howard, who I've spoken to, who did come up with the one heat minute podcast. So, yeah. For inspiration. (laughs) Life on Planet Groove, a moment-by-moment dissection of a perfect moment in 20th century funk. Uh, And then this this long list starts. No, this is me. This is me writing to you. Oh, this is you. Yeah. (laughs) Episode one. Happy music. What is funk and why this album? And then it goes episode two, three, four, five. Episode nine is when we get to the first track and the first minute of the first track. Uh, episode 100 was going to be Soul Power 92, the last minute of that. And episode 101 was the postscript. Life on Planet Groove revisited the 25th anniversary edition that we will talk about certainly a little bit in this series. Yes. And I finished the email. I mean, it's not like we're busy or anything. Pretty sure we could knock off 101 episodes in no time at all. You in. <laughs> okay, and how did I respond? You responded the next day. Easy, yes. <laughs> But I should point out, you know, just before we started recording today, we were talking about unfinished projects. I am a man of a million unfinished projects, but I feel very fortunate. I have a guy in my life uh, <laughs> who can help me, you know, and here we are recording the first episode. Um, and what have we spent the last few months doing? You know, talking to incredible people, Yeah. Um, people who've been so generous with their time and, you know... Um, we won't tip our hand here and say, you know, exactly who we've spoken to, but we've talked to people who were, you know, involved in the um, the, the setup of that band, what led to the, the creation of that lineup, musicians who performed on the night, and, you know, so many people with incredible stories to tell, and, you know, stories that you and I have uh, enjoyed hearing and, you know, pulled apart. And, and, yeah, it's been an amazing experience, and here we are, you know, uh, recording the first episode. I'm excited. Are you excited? Yeah. Very, very. And we should say, you know, after the, that initial, the heady days of that first email, we did refine the concept slightly. We're not doing minute by minute. No, you, are, you are the practical man who reined me in from this absurd concept. <laughs> we did decide instead that what we should do is contact all the people who made this album and see if they would talk to us about it. Um, and amazingly, more than half of them have done, haven't they? I mean, it's been, and it's been... An absolute privilege to speak to the people that we've spoken to. I mean, I can't describe how excited I was, uh, you know, before a couple of the interviews that we've done. So yeah, we won't we'll we'll let we won't tease ahead too much to the uh, the actual individuals we've spoken to. But we have spoken and enjoyed great conversations with some of the people who made this album. And what was you know what one of the nicest things I found was that they were genuinely really enthusiastic about talking about this album this was just Mm. as it's a special album for us for all the people involved it was a special album for them as well uh, that we spoke to anyway you know like they it's a special time 
for them both in terms of professionally working with the people they were working with, but also, yeah. like you were saying, that this album sort of transcends the funk genre. I think they are conscious of that as well. I think, you know, one of the people that we spoke to memorably said to me, you know, he's played with all sorts of people over the years, you know, some of the biggest names in world music. And some people will say, hey, weren't you the guy on Life on Planet Groove? <laughs> <laughs> And he has to like put his hands up and say, yes, I was. And then he talks yeah. about it happily because, yeah, it's a it's a moment in time that all the people we spoke to think of very fondly. Absolutely. And so we, we touched on this, you know, a little bit already in our conversation. But, you know, to throw you on the spot, what is it that you mm. love so much about this album, Guy? I think I was I was actually thinking about this before. I think it is it's the it's the sound and I, that sounds very vague but it's it's just how big and how powerful the sound is. And I think that's a lot of that is led by well, first of all we should say the, the production is as you alluded to a little bit earlier. The production on this is amazing. Like the clarity of it, hmm. the the sort of the, the the sound of the drum kit for a start is just so incredible. And it's like to me, it's like the perfect funk drum sound to start with. That it's it's just so, it's just such a big drum sound, and it's yeah. so good. And then you've got you know the other musicians on top of that. You've got people like Rodney Jones on guitar, just absolutely nailing the funk. You know the chunk funk guitar all over the place. Yeah, where it's just so spot on in terms of the rhythm section. You know Larry Golding's bass <laughs> bass hand on his organ, which is. Just unbelievable, you know. That kind of blew my mind as I got when I realised that that wasn't actually a bass player. That was an amazing moment as a bass player to realise actually that's not someone playing the bass. To to know that someone could do that. Yeah. But then also, obviously, the secret source, Maceo, Fred, and Pee Wee. You know, they are like, you know, they're sort of like the Bee Gees of the horn section, aren't they? Of horn sections. They're, there's something <laughs> about the three of them together. Yeah. Their, their their voices together are just pure magic. And so that's a very vague answer. But I think it, I have to say that my favourite thing about it is the whole sound and that there's just constant surprises all the time. Yeah. Because there's such amazing musicians. The sound is so clear. You know, the atmosphere in the room is so, you know, you can reach out and touch it almost, can't you? Yeah. That everything together, it's just an absolute joy for the to listen to isn't it it's, there's there's so much to enjoy at any one time on this album yeah um so i don't know if that answers your question <laughs> i well, hope so i just wanted to come back to one thing you said about the whole sound as well and this goes back to conversations you and i have had many times about what it is that we love about funk music that mm. this is you know grooves being created by interlocking pieces of people you know playing what by itself in isolation might sound like an incredibly simple part and often is an incredibly simple part but is you know one element of a groove that when locked together just creates something unbelievable and you know it goes back obviously Fred Macy and Pee Wee can trace you know that some of their first collaborations back to working in the James Brown band that that mm. was the, the the James Brown sound and what you know started with tunes like Cold Sweat when it stopped being kind of you know um, songs built around blues changes and just the whole tune being you know based around one chord, one groove, and this was something that hadn't really been done before, but just still, mm. it'd be hard to say what the melody is, what the sound of that track is, because without, you take out any one part and the rest of it starts to, you know, fall apart. It's how yeah. the bass and the drums and the guitar and the horns all build in together. And something else as well that you said about Fred Macy and Pee and about their voice, which I think is just 
a huge part of what makes the album for me. The three of them, mm. all outstanding musicians in their own right, but playing together, just it's like listening to three people singing. Yeah, and exactly. I think this is especially, you can hear it so much on that first track. And I'd like, you know, in a minute, I wouldn't mind talking a bit about the first two tracks just because mm. they're, you know, so phenomenal often by themselves. But whether it's the three of them uh, talking and singing and, you know, there's, there's chants involved, the way they do that sounds exactly the same way when the three of them are playing yeah. together. Um, and if you're listening to this now, you might hear some of this happening in the background that we'll cut in a bit later. <laughs> hey, it's Ed here. Just talking to you while I'm editing the episode. And I thought rather than put more music under us while we talk here, I'd take a moment to try and show you what I'm talking about here with the voice. So first up, here's Maceo Parker being joined by Fred Wesley and Alfred Pee Wee Ellis. And as Maceo himself says... Check this out! Wait, wait, wait. Before we get to it, it kills me when Fred chimes in with, Come on! Here. Check this out! Okay, now listen here as this horn line comes together and Maceo plays this single, syncopated, beautiful note perfectly in the gap. And I just noticed too, Rodney Jones, always listening, echoing Maceo a moment later. Told you I always find something new when I listen to this album. Let's listen again. Okay, and here we are earlier in the same tune as the three horns sing its title. Did you hear it? The what? The who? Different placements in the bar, but the same syncopated feel. If he was playing the sax here, you just know he'd play a note there. And now, if I'm not going crazy, and you've got that idea in your head, listen to Maceo talking just before that vocal line comes in. The timing, the placement, finishing with a glorious good God on the downbeat. And imagine it's an alto saxophone you can hear instead of his voice. Shake your head or your chin, or your neck, or your shoulders. One last time, and a bit longer here, for everything the rhythm section is doing too, weaving in and around Maceo and each other, Larry Goldings, Rodney Jones, and the one and only Kenwood Denard. Shake your head or your chin, or your neck, or your shoulders, backbone. the way they sing and they sing the way they play and it's just it's their voice that you can hear together it's something incredible yeah that's it i mean when you think about the three of them together it's like you know i mentioned the bgs but it's also like you know the sort of beach boys isn't it it's that sort of glorious when there's a combination of voices that just work 
so well together and lift everything else, you know. And I think that yeah. they had that, whether that was from playing together for years or just just how brilliant they, the three of them are, were in Pee Wee's case as musicians. But there was obviously a chemistry there between the three, wasn't there? It was clear, hmm. as you say, both in terms of the singing but also the playing, which they are the, the gloss over the whole thing, aren't they? But I think, you know, what yeah. I really love what you're saying about a more general point about funk. And I think one of the things that we've always loved about funk music, and I think lots of people do, obviously, is that sort of, as you say, the interplay, the the sort of jigsaw nature of funk, that it's almost like cogs in a, you know, a clock, that everything fits together and everything has its own little, you know, place in the rhythm of each bar and of each phrase. And it's the instruments talking to each other, there's the call and answer, and when it clicks together, like it does so brilliantly on this album, and that's something we try to achieve as in our, you know, much lower key musical careers, but that's something we've tried to do, isn't it? That's what that was our objective. Yeah. And it's there's something it's the absolutely magical when a band is locked in playing a funk groove. And that that's always been ever since I discovered funk, and I'm still gonna come back to my funk epiphany, but ever since discovering funk, and that's what I've always loved most about it, is that when a band clicks in. And, you know, obviously it usually happens when it's amazing musicians and obviously yeah. also when they've played together for a long time. But when it's it's that sort of effortless sound where a band is completely locked together playing a groove and they just sit on that groove and there's, you know, there's nothing more joyous to me than that. And that's one of the best things about this album. I think, you know, it's, it's rare that, you know, how long is the first track? What is it, 12 minutes or so? It's something ridiculous. It's like it? two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Shake Everything You've Got is a long track and they sit on the one groove for yeah. ages. And I, you know, I think part of my love for that, a band sitting on a groove, is, is down to this album. Obviously, James Brown on, on all his stuff and Fela Kuti style, you know, the Afrobeat style where it's just sitting on one groove. It's all interconnected, isn't it? But this album is a great example of mm. where a, a band does it live and does, does it amazingly well. Yeah, absolutely. So... Uh- can we talk a bit just about the first two tracks on the album? Yes. And maybe, you know, I'm sure we can have this, you know, I know in advance what moments you're going to love, <laughs> and I'm sure you know the same, and they'll probably have a almost identical list put together. Yeah. But I, I love the whole album. Um, um, from start to finish, it's incredible. And I, I rarely listen to it without listening to the whole thing start to finish, because it is that experience of listening yeah. to a whole album. Yeah. The first two tracks, oh my God. I mean, you could... <laughs> You could take those out of there and it would still be a great album because yeah. it is so fantastic. But there's something just, you know, unbelievable about the one-two punch of the first yeah. two tracks on the album that I just agree. are part of what, you know, can give that instant connection to the listener. Of, you know, you're listening to something special here. Yeah. And so I, I'm going to start off with a bit that you'd already mentioned about, you know, just that little bit of left-hand bass mm. right at the start of um, uh, the tune Southwick, which, you know, which they, um, you know, titled as, as Shake Everything You've Got on the on the album, which yeah. is a, a tune that, you know, Maceo played for years and years. That tune goes back to the 70s, I think. Absolutely. But um, it's not just that it's a great bass line, simple, because it should be simple, because mm-hmm. it's amazing funk music. And... Um, beautifully, perfectly played by Larry yeah. Goldings. And I've never been quite sure if it's all left hand or if there's foot involved because I don't know about how the organ works and how that's put together. Yeah. But it's something about just those first few seconds where the 
the crowd noise you know comes up in the mix that bass kicks in and it's because of my associations with the album what it means to me and it's that anticipation of I, I know what's coming when yeah. I play that bass line <laughs> there's a reason I'm listening to this album because I know how it's going to make me feel and it makes me feel that way every single time and you know that um, I could die happy just listening to that first 10 seconds and then I could replay the rest of the album in my head because I do yeah. know it just about yeah. note for note well on that like just th- those first few seconds the first few bars yeah as you say it's just the bass to start with and then the drums kick in yeah. um, and the guitar and I just love how I love how lazy the start is you know in the yeah. sense no, lazy is the wrong word probably but how sort of relaxed it is it just feels like yeah. okay here we go. It's nice and chilled, and it's it's just incredibly it's just tight you and ready. amazingly relaxed at it's the same time. It's incredibly tight, yeah. But it's not like in your face, like the album, as even Shake Everything You've Got gets quite soon. Yeah. But it's just very like, okay, here's the groove. We're just going to start off with this groove. And then I'm, Maceo just talks for ages, doesn't he? Sets the scene. It's almost like episode one of a podcast. He's like, right, this is this is who we are. This is what we're going to do in the, <laughs> over the yeah. next hour and a half. This is what this type of music's about. And I love, I absolutely love that. How many gigs have you been to when there's like a scene set? For, you know, not many. I can't think of any others. And it just work. It, it shouldn't work. It shouldn't work at someone coming on and saying, hey, this is who we are. This is the kind of music we're playing. This is how it should make you feel. These are. This is what's going to happen now. And then you sort of go into it. But it, it just works. because, And that's the magic of Maceo, isn't it? Maceo is an incredible communicator and I think it comes down to a lot of what you were saying like he plays he speaks in the same way that he plays and it it's just so he's in the groove from the you know just we're talking yeah. isn't he and it, it's it's kind of um it's almost like sleight of hand but everything he says is so in time and so in in the groove as well that you he's yeah. you know he's what he's saying is not is guiding you into the what's coming next as well. It's really it's such a brilliant opening. And just although you know I'd uh, very sensibly been talked out of a, a second by second breakdown <laughs> of the entire album from start to finish over the next twelve years. Yeah. Just one last little thing about the very start. Um, do you you know what happens just before the drums and the you know the rest of the the rhythm section kick in? No. There's a voice somewhere. For me, I've always imagined it's someone in the crowd. Someone goes, come on, Fred! (laughs) Just right before the one and the rhythm section comes in. I'll have to listen to that. I said it completely wrong, but I can hear in my head exactly how it sounds. I've never noticed that, I must admit. I was listening to it again (laughs) yesterday and I was just enjoying... Yeah, just so thinking about, you know, favourite bits of that song. So, Hmm. and as we mentioned, there's so many little bits that you can enjoy and revisit. Like, I will go and do that after this. Now, listen to that. Come on, Fred. But... I love how it starts so relaxed, and then it, this it, talk about building up a song, the way this song builds, and obviously you've got the groove, you've got then the bit of the bridge, haven't you? Then they go back to the groove, and then you, it builds up to the the centerpiece of the whole song, which as <laughs> several every interviewee actually mentioned this, didn't they? Pretty much about how amazing this was, probably just being on stage and seeing it live. The, the yeah. sort of duet or the, the sort of interplay between Kenwood Denard on drums and Maceo Parker on sax. It's one of the great pieces of recorded music, in my opinion. And it's just the way it builds and builds and builds, and then there's that climax at the end. When the, the, the whole band, that was always my favourite bit of the whole album, when yeah. we used to listen to it, you know, back in Barry's bedroom. And still now, I'm just, 
I feel euphoric at that. If I, if you listen to the whole song up to that moment, when the band comes back in at the end of the sax solo, it's the most euphoric musical moment I think it's possible to find. So yeah, that's that's without question my favourite bit of the, that song of the whole album. It's just, but you have to have had the sort of eight or nine minutes beforehand, don't you, to really yeah. enjoy it as much as that because it, you need to have the have had that whole build up to that moment. Sure. That's incredible. Well, and what I love as well, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but there's in right at the end of the solo, Maceo does a really low note, which I think is the signal to the band we're coming back in. Um, yeah. I've always heard it like that. It's like Bob. He's like looking right. This is it. And He's then, looking over his shoulder. Yeah. yeah. And it just, I just love that Bob because it just, yeah. it's just, it's like an exclamation mark. Here it comes. So yeah, I can't get enough of that bit. It's I've listened. I must have listened to that first. Well, shake everything you've got. I must have listened to. Well, I can't even count how many times I've listened to it and, and enjoyed that moment. Yeah. And then, you know, the the groove comes back in and then, you know, I mean, again, we could break down, you know, moment by moment, so many fantastic things about it. But when it gets to the end and that outro and yeah. what we were talking about before about them singing and the way as a unit, the three of them play together with this, you know, working with this little phrase that, you know, we've had the... We've had the start, we've had the build-up, we've had the climax, we've come back to the groove, it's been the party, you've heard the crowd cheering, and then it's just uh, bringing you slowly back down and slowly back down from this euphoric peak, you know, yeah. which is a, I don't know, another song that ends like that. I can't no. think of a single other piece of music that ends with, you know, again, I don't know if it's one minute or a whole week. It, it could go on for a week and I'd be happy to listen to it, of just yeah. the three of them, you know, slowly kind of deconstructing it and bringing it back down when the rest of the band has dropped out and then you're sat there and it's the same for me listening to it the thousandth time or the first time just going you know oh my god what's just happened that experience i've been going yeah. through where could they possibly go through from here <laughs> you know surely that's the peak of the album yeah they couldn't you know how are they going to follow up with that and then it's it's past the peas <laughs> and it's not just past the peas it's just the best oh my god full throttle I can't past speak, the peas yeah yeah, there's no holding back there, is there? I like no, to think that at the real, at the actual gig, there was a little bit more of a break between the two songs, but I don't you know. know. I mean, the, the, al- the album's clearly edited up because it, you know, it covers at least two nights, doesn't it? And yeah, it's you know, two nights apparently. The first night probably alone. with no bass player, and then the and then the um, the guest stars on the second night. I think there were three nights in total, but I get the feeling mm-hmm. we might be able to confirm this if we go back and check some of the interviews that the most of the recorded content came from the not the first night, but the the two. Yeah. the last two nights uh, but yeah the past the peas version that i mean i i've again i've listened to that so many times because when i was learning to play the bass um mm. by playing along to songs a lot of the time that was one of my go-to's for years i would play that the whole thing because it's such a yeah. great rhythmic workout on the bass you know because it's just and it's so repetitive which as you know i enjoy i enjoy i enjoy a long repetitive bass line <laughs> so it was perfect it was right per- right up my street and so, yeah, I've, I used to guy, love... Guy, no solo, kilty. Exactly, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, it's such a no-holds-barred version of Past the Peas, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and that's, you know, and then, because then it's taking on this whole, you know, musical journey from, you know, James Brown to P-Funk and, you know, some of the um, experiences the three of them had shared and, you know, the, the paths that they've gone through to, to reach that point, Yeah. you know, um, in the early 90s with this you know, incredible smoking band playing to just, you know, super excited, appreciative audiences in Europe. And just, yeah, it was a, mm. um, 
don't you wish you'd been there? Although yeah. I feel like I have a million times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's amazing. Shall I tell you my um, funk epiphany story? I think you better had. Yeah. So I think briefly, I won't go into all the detail, but I think my memory of it is that this would be the pre. This would have been pre listening to Life on Planet Group. So maybe a year or two beforehand, we were at yeah. a party some uh, in a house. I think it was Johnny it was Bowers' house. JB. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was Johnny Bowers' house. Which I've just realised, JB. Oh, yeah, there we go. It's fate. And um, we ended up just upstairs, I think, in Johnny's little brother's bedroom. And for some reason, he had a little stereo in there. We started listening to Sex Machine. And (laughs) both of us just kind of freaked out and just started dancing around. We just, like, lost it. And we just kind of got completely lost in the song. Yeah. And I think it was like... I, I do have a, you know, it, whether it's become an urban myth in my own mind, I don't know, but I just have this very clear memory of just being, just hearing the bass really for, you know, and that's sort of, as you get older, you when you're young, you hear music as a whole thing. You don't, well, I did mm. anyway, you, you don't hear the instruments, you hear the whole song. But as you get older, and as particularly as we started to play like guitar and bass and drums and things, you start to hear this, the instruments, separate yeah. them out in your mind. And I just remember thinking, oh my God, the bass on this is absolutely unreal. I need to listen to more music like this. Yeah. Because this this bass part and these bass and drums together, this rhythm section just does something to me, which is I don't, I'm not in control of. Yeah. So yeah, that's my memory of it. Do you remember that then? Yeah, I, I you know, little <laughs> details about the little brother's bedroom, but yeah, jiving to sex machine in Johnny Bowers' Jiving. House. Yeah, is a great uh, word. As clear a memory as it could possibly could be. Um, and I should point out, I don't know, jiving for us had a particular... <laughs> I don't know what an actual jive dance is like. I have no idea. This is just awkward, awkward 14-year-olds no. not in control of their bodies. <laughs> yeah, so from that moment on, it's yeah. been a, a journey of a lifetime on Planet Groove from that moment, really, but... Yeah, this album, this album is just so important, and I think that's why we, you know, we're we're so thrilled to have spoken to who we've spoken to, and we hope everyone enjoys it, don't we? You know, I think people will enjoy these interviews. They're genuinely funny, surprising, interesting, brilliant. Yeah, oh, some of the things, you know, I think it's an experience like this when you start to pull apart something that you love. There's always that risk that it's going to take something away. And it's done absolutely the opposite. You know, every little detail, every bit of colour has made me love this album more than I thought I could, given how much it's basically my favourite piece of recorded music ever anyway. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. It's been an absolute thrill. So, yeah, I guess that that tells the story of why we made this show, why we're making this show. We'll see you for the next episode when we'll be introducing our first interview guest, which will be uh, great fun. So, yeah. We hope you can uh, we hope you can listen and enjoy. Subscribe to the show. Um, if you like the show, give us a review or a rating. It really helps us in the uh, the charts. <laughs> not that not that necessarily. You know, it's it's good in podcasting to have a niche. We've definitely got a niche. So yeah. we'd love to hear from you, and we do have an email address. Ed, do you have the email address? Don't you? A lifetime on planet groove at gmail.com. Brilliant. So send us your thoughts. Send us your thoughts. Um, we will set up um, social, a, a Twitter account probably as well. So um, you'll be able to find us on there if you just search on Twitter. Um, 
Or X. Oh, X, sorry, yeah. Formerly known yeah. as Twitter. So let us know. Get in touch. We'd love to hear your thoughts because we will we'll incorporate any thoughts that you send in into the show. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Um, so let us know. And we hope you enjoy. Cheers, Kai. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.